Hi friends, welcome to this new episode of my podcast, A Digital Tomorrow. Today, I got the huge pleasure of being joined by Paolo Cironi. Welcome, Paolo. Thanks for having me here today. I guess it's a digital today. <laughs> yes. We are already in the digital world. Though some That's banks might not realize that. That's true. That's, you know, I mean, the whole point is to try to analyze how tomorrow is going to be maybe more digital than today, but you are actually spot on. Today, we are already very digital. So, so uh, for those of you who may not know uh, Paolo yet, even though he's a very famous uh, voice in the fintech area, I need to tell you that uh, Paolo Cironi is the global research leader in banking and financial markets at IBM Consulting, Institute for Business Value, a selling author of the book Banks and Fintech on Platform Economies, which is a book that we're going to cover and analyze uh, later. He's one of the most respected fintech voices worldwide, as I said before, providing business expertise and strategic thinking to a network of executives among financial institutions, startups, and regulators. He's a former quantitative risk manager and startup entrepreneur. Paolo's literature explores the biological underpinnings of financial markets and how technology and business innovation can bolster the global economy's immune system in today's volatile times. Which, of course, that's a very accurate comparison now that we're talking so much about our immune systems. So, once again, Paolo, well, then, uh, welcome thank to... Thank you. That means I work uh, at the crossroads uh, with uh, technology, economics, uh, behavioral finance, uh, risk management and banking strategy. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Well, actually, the first um, question is going to be about your uh, personal uh, journey because, well, I summarized this uh, amazing uh, biography right now. And I would like to, to know a bit more about you in the sense that uh, we can see that you transition from traditional finance, uh, risk management, etc., to fintech, you know, becoming, as I said, one of the most uh, prestigious uh, fintech voices uh, worldwide. So uh, could you please tell our listeners a, a bit more about uh, your personal journey? Like, for example, what made you decide to enter the fintech world? Well, my journey is similar to the one of Dante Alighieri in the Divine Comedy, if you could read the Italian masterpiece. Yes. Um, so you remember that Dante to visit hell, purgatory, and then got into heaven. Now, I started in the hell of banking, I was head of quantitative risk management for investment banking institutions. And there I saw all the possible things you can imagine, and even those that you haven't seen or you cannot imagine yourself. And uh, that was a very interesting experience because at that time, um, risk management was starting uh, to be developed by financial institutions. I'm thinking uh, the late, uh, middle 1990s. So that gave me the opportunity to see the old bank. So from the retailer to the wholesale banking, uh, the investment management processes, uh, so on and so forth. And then I thought, uh, well, I wanted to uh, retain myself. Uh, so I decided to build a startup uh, in 2008. So I moved to Germany and I created Capitex. It was a small company with some industrial partners uh, to develop uh, wealth management solutions to help uh, basically the banks transform towards uh, the new business models that we are seeing today that are taking their sh getting shaped. So it was very, if you like, prescient. So I, I really thought at the time the financial crisis is starting, a low interest rate will dominate the economy. So there will be a shift towards well management in terms of revenue generation mechanisms. 
Now that is like purgatory in a dentist journey because when you're an entrepreneur, you have to suffer a lot. You make many mistakes. <laughs> it's not an easy life, but it's a very entertaining life at the same time. And then IBM bought uh, uh, my small company in 2013. So I would say that I got into the heaven of uh, the exponential technologies. Uh, so everything started transforming uh, uh, from the 2010 onwards, the FinTech ecosystem started uh, boiling uh, and growing very fast worldwide. And today I'm uh, basically leading uh, the business research of IBM Consulting worldwide uh, in banking and financial markets. And I had the opportunity of writing a few pieces of literature. And the last one that was uh, released by Wiley a few months ago, Banks and FinTech on Platform Economies, is very successful, is very relevant. And number one, uh, hot new release on Amazon banking books for the last uh, two, three months. So it's a worth, uh, worth reading. And uh, I'm happy that we can discuss the content today. Well, I, I must say that I love this uh, comparison that you made with uh, Dante Alighieri's uh, Divine Comedy. I, I myself love Italian literature. No, I mean, Alighieri, uh, Boccaccio, Ariosto. So I think it's been a very um, well interesting uh, comparison. And well, this uh, brings us to, to your book, which you just uh, mentioned now. You uh, recently published your uh, best-selling book, uh, Banks and Fintech on Platform Economies, uh, in which you deliver uh, an insightful examination on, on how, uh, of how a platform theory uh, born outside financial services will make its way inside banking and financial markets to radically transform the, the way that uh, firms do business. Uh, could you please tell our listeners a bit more about uh, your book and especially about why anyone interested in banking and fintech should buy it and read it? Okay, you will uh, learn it through this conversation that at the end of my professional journey into heaven, as Dante Leghieri did, I found myself, that is the human being. So everything that I do is to discuss uh, digital innovation to make sure that uh, we have the human being at the center of uh, the development of new business models. Saying the human being is not just uh, um, using language, it means uh, clan centricity is often um, discussed uh, as the upper personalization of marketing that has the client at the center of the marketing bazooka. Now, marketing is important. The problem is that digital doesn't work the same way that analog life works in financial services compared to what happens in other industries like e-commerce. A lot of people have a hard time in self-directing themselves on digital. So the techniques that banks have been used in order to position products and solutions in front of clients, especially those which have higher margins, do not really work on digital the way they were expecting through the last 10 years of fintech innovation. So now only having the client instead as a human being at the center of the relationship, where the products are a bit less relevant, if you like, in terms of strategy and the outcome, the journey of the individual is what matters, banks and fintech will be capable of winning the uh, digital transformation, the digital revolution and compete with the big tech companies. Now, all of this corresponds uh, I guess what, to a shift from output economies, that is an economy where products are center of a linear business model, to outcome economies. So economies where the outcome, which is the goal, uh, the financial well-being of an individual when you think about finance, is at the core of the discussion. And that is uh, basically relevant because outcome economies shape the platform economies. 
So there's no platform economy that can really succeed in the output economy. So you really need to, to build platforms that allow individuals to see and learn how they can move themselves around in order to keep on fulfilling through an engagement mechanism their needs. So now what I've been seeing in the last 10 years is that many fintech misunderstood the essence of output economies versus outcome economies. They misunderstood the essence of hyper-personalization because they thought of that in terms of selling products instead of building engagement. Therefore, they cannot be successful as they were expecting because they were not complying with the platform economy. And you know, it's like the history of the internet that we saw 20 years into the internet journey that platforms were the winners. Facebook, LinkedIn, all the social media platforms for the good or for the bad. Now on digital, platforms will be the winners. So banks have to learn how to move out of client centricity into human centricity, out of output economy into outcome economies. I see. Well, thank you very much for, for sharing. Then there are like two more uh, concepts that you mentioned in your book, which are um, con um, contextual and conscious banking. Uh, could you please uh, tell us a, a bit more about these two concepts? And also, uh, if you could please summarize how uh, you think uh, financial services are steering towards uh, new forms of uh, digital transformation underpinned precisely by contextual banking and conscious banking uh, platform uh, strategies? Oh, the, the core of this uh, new book, Banks and Fintech on Platform Economies, is the banking reinvention quadrant. Mm -hmm. There is a map uh, that allows banks and fintech to navigate the darkness of digital transformation. There are four areas on this quadrant that correspond to different uh, business value spaces. There is traditional banking, there is uh, digital banking, and there are uh, contextual banking and conscious banking platform strategies. Now, you already see that contextual and conscious are different in my language from digital banking, because most of the digital banks that we've been seeing so far are nothing but the transposition of a traditional banking business model operating in the output economy. So linear distribution of uh, uh, product uh, through different omnichannel uh, capabilities on the digital uh, medium. Now, as we just said, that, that cannot be successful uh, in the end because you may be capable of optimizing the processes and that is really welcome, but doesn't really allow you to achieve higher business value. Accenture itself estimated that between 2015 and 2018, more than $1 trillion were spent on digital transformations in financial services, but primarily chrysalis were born and not butterflies. And those chrysalis are digital banks or the digital solutions. Now, conscious banking platform strategies and contextual banking platform strategies correspond to the butterflies. So those fintech, those banks, or those big tech that manage to understand how to move out of output economies into outcome economies to achieve higher business value. Now, you may ask yourself, what is the difference between a contextual bank or a conscious bank? Well, it goes this way. Uh, we all know that the banks uh, are opening up their data coffers more and more, and we actually hope that the big tech will be asked to basically share their data more and more. Now, we are in a world where interest rates in the major economies are very low, if not negative, and they're actually going down everywhere in the world 
after the global financial crisis, after the pandemic crisis started, there is a global trend. That basically uh, reduces the capability of banks to remunerate the interest rate margin operations, so the credit operations, because interest rates are very low, so the margin is uh, low, the risk may be high, the cost of capital is uh, still affecting banks' capability to lend. So there's no much reward that can be given back to the shareholders. And that's why we are seeing that banks are effectively moving towards uh, different businesses like the fee businesses, uh, in particular the well management uh, space. However, even there we see that across the board that the competition is intensifying, the vulgarization is lowering the embedded commissions into these products and digital is starting to disintermediate the lot. So now one way for banks to resolve their profitability conundrum is basically to contextualize their banking offers and capabilities into an adjacent ecosystem, which is not a banking ecosystem per se. So basically, uh, one of the value of uh, the banking uh, offers that banks forgot uh, is there in front of them to help the clients is the capability of banking to facilitate something else. So now the moment you embrace uh, open banking, open finance, uh, open data to the limit, uh, you find opportunities to eliminate the friction in adjacent ecosystems. And that would allow banks to unlock new value by embedding themselves into a different non-banking journey. Now, that means that if banks learn how to orchestrate non-banking platforms, their role primarily with the banking solutions will be to eliminate the friction. That will make the interplay among the people on the platform much more engaging, much more entertaining and interesting. Now, they also need to be wary here because they cannot and they should not think of making money by selling the API consumption per se, because that would be like another form of output economy. They will have to learn that the new value that is generated is on the whole ecosystem interplay. So now it is the opportunity, as we said, to eliminate the friction that makes banking contextualized, that means embedded into judged ecosystems to unlock new value. And what is conscious banking instead? Now, banks will not disappear. They will always be banks in front of clients. However, the problem that banks have to face is that as the products are losing the capability of generating sufficient margins, the relationship becomes the new product. And we are seeing this clearly because there are some banks which are already starting to price the relationship, starting from the high network and going down towards the affluent and then at some point the retail market. So now it is the need to demonstrate value that clients have to pay for transparently for accessing this financial services platform that makes banking conscious, that makes transparent to unlock hidden value in the relationship that was basically uh, uh, replaced, if you like, by a product perspective, but now needs to become central of the uh, um, revenue generation mechanism again. And, and this uh, point of view that you find in this new book, Banks of Fintech and Platform Economies, uh, correspond, for example, to a paper, the content of a paper of the European Central Bank uh, that was published uh, uh, two years ago. It's titled um, um, Financial Intermediation with Technology, but so that what's new, where the research center of the European Central Bank identifies uh, this emergence of business models. On the one side, uh, the contextual banking, right? So the evolution of the open banking. And on the other side, what they call trusted advisory, 
or the resurgence of merchant banking, which is what I define conscious banking because I also identify the elements that will enable these business models to be successful on the digital economy. So we cannot just talk about the traditional advisory mechanism as we know today, but it transformed one which is uh, operated on the financial services platform. Oh, thank you very much for sharing uh, like so many interesting concepts that we do summarize them and that we need to, well, to look into. And then there is one more um, area to which you make a clear uh, emphasis, and that is the area or, or the role of ethics. Um, what needs to be to you um, the role of ethics in, in banking and finance? There's a lot of uh, ethics washing uh, in many fintech conversations or banking conversations. Now, let's uh, remind ourselves that now we're talking about the transformation of uh, the financial services industry to the platform economies. So I'm thinking not just a bank becoming a platform, but the whole industry becoming a platform. In the reality, you can think in terms of platforms, uh, even though you may not be used to, like the economy is a platform. Financial markets are already a platform, right? Uh, society, politics are a platform. It's just that many businesses operating to these platforms like very linear businesses, right? Trying to cut their piece inside uh, this, uh, this broader uh, ecosystem and, and larger interplay. Now, the banks and fintech and platform economies uh, findings uh, and practical implementations are based on uh, a novel theory that I published a few years ago. That is the theory of financial market transparency. A theory is needed because the transformation of the industry is really radical. It's like you were used to uh, produce electricity uh, with a carbon uh, uh, plant, and now you need to build, I don't know, a nuclear plant. You need a new theory to do that, right? If you apply the old theory, it will not work. Now, the financial market transparency theory is a theory of uh, uh, open banking, is a theory of uh, relationships of individuals and agents within an ecosystem. And that is conceived in a way that uh, uh, as you cannot uh, uh, dictate uh, every interaction that uh, operates on a very complex platform, you need to make sure that uh, the interplay among the people is created in a way that you build uh, positive network effects, which are at the heart of platform theory. So positive network effects means that people start doing things which are mutually uh, advantageous, right? So it's advantageous for the bank as much as for the client. Now, the positive network effects on the financial services uh, platform correspond to consequentialist ethics. So now ethics uh, is not just uh, a discussion that you have in terms of a declaration of intent. Ethics uh, which are brought onto the financial services platform by regulatory transparency are uh, that mechanism that allows banks to do good for the client and clients to be responsabilized in making their financial decisions. So the ethical element is at the core of my theory and principles of financial market transparency, which sets the ground for the transformation of the financial services industry on the platform economies in a way that the whole ecosystem is changed and starts producing inclusive value, reducing the asymmetry that is the dominant element of the financial services industry that on the one side could generate revenues, but we know that when asymmetries are too large, that also enforce, if you like, or 
imply a collapse of the system and that was the for global financial crisis and the conundrum of the quantitative easing that we got into for the last 15 years and it's very difficult for the central banks to resolve. The only way to resolve it is to rethink the industry in terms of platform economies. I agree. And well, now that we covered uh, your latest book, uh, I mean, not in detail, but at least a bit, I wanted to remind our listeners that a few years ago, in 2016, you published another book, another bestseller called uh, Fintech Innovation, From Robot Advisors to Goal-Based Investing and Gamification. In that book, uh, you basically analyzed uh, the rise of financial technology and its growing uh, impact on the global banking industry. And now, uh, almost uh, six years later, uh, do you think that most of your uh, predictions or statements uh, came true? Or is there like any emerging area that surprised you, like uh, anything that went maybe differently from what you expected? Because we're talking about many years, no? almost six years. There are many things uh, that became true, but two in particular that I want to mention and highlight. The mm -hmm. first one. That book on fintech innovation focuses on the digital wealth management because I said that wealth management has the secret sauce to digitize the banking industry. And this is now evident because uh, if you look at the profitability of most of the banks in the Western world, that is shifting from traditional banking in terms of the credit function towards the investment management and insurance, so the bank assurance, which is at the heart of the wealth management piece. I'll give you an example. If you ask the audience, um, which is the biggest uh, Swiss bank, uh, most would say is UBS. If you ask the audience, which is the second most, would say is Credit Suisse. Well, not much, because uh, UBS and Credit Suisse uh, were taken out of the banking index two years ago by FTSE Russell, that publishes the stocks indices. Because FTSE Russell said, well, UBS is not a bank anymore, it's an asset manager because more than 50% of the revenues come from wealth management, not from core banking. And Credit Suisse is now a diversified financial conglomerate. So what I was saying in the FinTech Innovation book is becoming true. I said, look, there will be this shift. So you better understand how digital wealth management work or cannot work given preconditions that you need to learn. The second, uh, if you like, prediction that you find in that book, which became true, is the following. At the time, everybody was talking about unbundling financial services. I'm also a co-host of a very successful podcast that is Breaking Banks, the European edition. And I love breaking banks. But I always told that the thousands of fintech entrepreneurs and bank executives and board members that I met in the last uh, six, seven years that they cannot break banks for the simple reason that banks are already broken because they operate like different and disjoint business units while the client is only one. So we said that the value would be to bundle back all of these elements into a different solution on the platform economy that enables you to create a different value that justifies the return of the client on your digital offer. Now, we are now seeing clearly that this is happening. The world has been learning about the super apps coming from China. They were there already at the time we received, but not many were 
aware of that. We saw the rise of the super apps in the Western world. We hear more and more banks discussing the importance of building platforms. We saw particularly in Asia, banks launching marketplaces, so rebundling onto different solutions, a variety of banking and non-banking offers to engage with customers. So that is one of the other things that I was discussing in the FinTech Innovation book that you now see realized. And that's why the natural continuation is really banks and FinTech on platform economies, because that not only completes, but takes you further to learn what is going to happen tomorrow as we're already seeing it today. But we need to be capable of reading today to understand tomorrow. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sounds, sounds good, true. In that book, you also talked about um, how uh, the uh, process of uh, making uh, banking more democratic, you know, this uh, democratization of banking is uh, revolutionizing the wealth management uh, industry. So how, how would you like define this idea, this concept of uh, democratizing uh, banking? Okay, so I, I may not have used the word democratization the way people use it because I shy away a little bit from, from these words that have been abused. But sure. the issue is uh, to bring more inclusion at the forefront of uh, the banking and the financial services action. Now, I just said that the source of revenues of the industry for many years, like 78 years, was the asymmetry of information. Now, when the asymmetry of information becomes too large, uh, you stop seeing inclusion, you see exclusion. And we saw that happening in the capitalistic world, like wealth started polarizing very fast. We have the same polarization of wealth in the US today that we had in the 1950s. So the peak of inclusiveness in terms of building the middle class was more or less in the 1990s. So something is happening and we need to address this. Now, there's two ways uh, that uh, banks can uh, uh, basically um, operate uh, in order to address the problem of uh, rebuilding a more inclusive society using financial services. And, and they corresponded to, if you like, uh, two different uh, um, intensities of the problem of uh, the exclusion from financial services. One is basically the cost of that, right? So by reducing the cost for accessing financial solutions, you effectively allow more people to access that. And that is not just happening because of digital. I mean, if you think about the devangalization, so the cost of passive investing versus active investing is a trend that started way before digital was deployed in order to reduce the cost of the intermediation. But there's another element which is very important. Not only people may find it expensive to access the financial industry offer, but many people, the majority of people are not capable of self-directing themselves. So they needed to enter into a conversation in order to make a financial decision. Now, that conversation is in itself a very demanding and very expensive. So now by digitizing um, financial services in the right way, we can find a way to build a more inclusive financial services platform, but it's not just the usage of technology that matters. It's basically the creation of a new conversation between the banker and the client, the center on the relationship and the concept of fundamental uncertainty that enables them to learn, to be more capable of making informed decisions. Now, in this case, digital is not there per se 
just to reduce the cost, but to help that conversation to be more substantiated. But there has to be a shift in that conversation to correspond to the biological macro foundation of financial markets, which are not the mathematics of the predictive mechanisms. We know that all investment banks try to predict the stock market in January and in February already drop 90% of the predictions. Those conversations are grounded on the biological macro foundations of financial markets, which are fundamental uncertainty and the irreversibility of time. That means we need to accept that the future is open, so the conversation is to be more engaging, and we need to leverage goal-based investing on the irreversibility of our human time, because that enables us to frame the conversation in a way that we can go back to that decision continuously, reminding ourselves that we are never done, we need to reconsider, we need to move forward, and so on and so forth. So it's a transformed well-management process that starts uh, complying uh, with uh, the uh, characteristics of the goal-based investing in terms of holistic planning uh, or holistic uh, well-management in which the assets commoditize, but the liabilities of families, people of individuals uh, that typically are in the credit function somewhere else needs to be brought in, is planning, to personalize the relationship with the client. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, thank you for, for sharing this. And now, um, well, uh, not only about your books, but I wanted to ask you now about uh, some general questions about uh, banking and fintech and the future. When it comes, for example, to banking, I wanted to talk about uh, technologies uh, in the sense that, um, well, as you know, there are many more technologies that are being applied to the area of banking, such as, for example, uh, artificial intelligence, blockchain. So I wanted to ask you what role do you think that those can play in the future of banking? And when I say blockchain, I'm talking about blockchain, I say technology in general, not just cryptocurrencies. No? So do you think that uh, blockchain, artificial intelligence and machine learning can and will play a major role in banking in the future or in the near future? Yes, but to understand the value of technology, we need to accept that the value is not in technology, but is what technology can facilitate. So the Institute for Business Value that I work for, which is the totally the shifting tank of uh, IBM Consulting, published an interesting paper some months ago titled uh, um, Unlock Business Value of uh, Hybrid Cloud. And in that paper, we basically discussed the fact of that uh, if you combine uh, cloud investments, cloud is uh, the foundation technology among the exponential technologies, if you combine cloud investments with end-to-end -end enterprise transformation, you can unlock a lot more value because you can multiply the potential impact of bank revenues 20 times. How can I explain that to you? And then you will see what I'm getting to. Uh, imagine that you are the CEO of a bank and uh, I put on the table all the money that you can make by transforming digitally your institution. Now, if you only invest in cloud as it is, you can get 5% of the money on the table. You make more money, but 95% remains there. So how do you get that 95% of the money on the table to you? Well, you need to plug into this discussion uh, three things. One is, of course, data, enhanced data and AI. The second is, of course, operational enablers like cybersecurity, which is foundational. But the third is the most important because it corresponds to more than 40% of the money on the table is the open organization. The open organization is made of uh, uh, a transformed culture, is made of uh, interactions with the ecosystem, is made on the platform economy. 
So now, by learning how to transform the culture to embrace the open organization, you can provide more value based on the cybersecurity framework to data and AI, because now you are blurring the lines between your internal business units, your internal repositories, the data that you find out of your organizations in order to create new business value. If you start to plugging in like data and AI in a world that is very closed, you are limiting yourself in your capability to extract value from this technology. And if you think about blockchain, what is blockchain? In the end, is nothing but a different mechanism to foster better collaboration among people, among systems. So now, if you think in terms of the open organization, you will see more value into the blockchain construct that you will not see when you believe that you're still operating with a closed organization. So to build more value out of that, you need to open up. And that is when you start bringing it to the extreme of the centralized finance and so on and so forth. But you see, the value of all of this can be unlocked if you learn culturally how to transform in terms of open organization. Now, one of the core messages of this new resource, thanks to FinTech on platform economies, clearly is the concept of openness, right? If you get that right, everything else, you know, will basically impact your business performance much more and certainly also provide more value to the client because, as I said at the beginning, the human being is at the center, not of a marketing mechanism, but as an engagement journey that enables them to basically fulfill their, you know, outcome in their personal business or financial life. Well, I like very much this approach that you just mentioned, no, about the human being being at the center. I think it makes a perfect sense. And well, I mean, even though I would like to keep discussing uh, many more topics with you, since we're running out of time, I would like to wrap uh, this discussion up with a final uh, question. And this one is more about the future. I know that none of us can see the future, but as you said before, uh, well, most of your predictions from six years ago came true. So I wanted to ask you, like, if there is uh, any prediction that you have for, uh, for this year in the banking or even fintech area, or any predictions that you want to make, maybe not for this year, but for the coming five years, like uh, any area that you think will emerge or will, will become stronger or, or the opposite? Well, a core of um, my uh, contribution, my totalistic contribution is the concept of the open future. So the future really is open and uh, might make no sense to make predictions. What I like to do instead is to discuss uh, the preconditions by which a future may be more likely to emerge or not. Mm -hmm. Now, a key lesson learned in the fintech industry that people have to get straight now is that uh, digital technology, that is my mobile, is a technology of the demand. It's what I call a pull technology. So only people that know what they want go there and pull what they need. But uh, most of the revenues that matter in the transformation of the financial services industry that corresponds to the fee business operate on an offer-driven economy. That means a push mechanism. Now, the reason many fintechs uh, throw the money around uh, and their uh, brain power but did not succeed is because they didn't understand that what they had to do was to resolve the problem of putting a push economy onto a pull technology. Now, there are uh, two ways uh, for that to be resolved. One that is uh, the one that I'm advocating now in particular, which is uh, basically to allow people, clients uh, with contextual and conscious banking to be more capable of uh, pulling 
basically because you transform the relationship and engagement so you enable them to do more if you don't do that they may be on the platform but they don't operate but there's another way that could be that technology itself becomes very conversational so it's capable of like offering to you that means that ai will have to become deeply and truly conversational now artificial intelligence is definitely growing i don't know if it will ever be deeply and truly conversational like conscious it might not might take more than five years, maybe it will never happen. But here's what I'm telling you. In the next five years, for sure, banks and fintech will learn discussing uh, consistently how to operate the platform economies, how to allow people to be more capable of pooling by themselves the financial offers to reduce the gap between the industry construct and the capability of technology. But they also have to change what the industry wants to do so that technology can start matching the value proposition. Mm -hmm. I see. Well, uh, thank you for sharing this very interesting uh, thought. I think it's very, it's been a great uh, discussion. We, well, we covered um, uh, your books, your personal journey, uh, this idea you know, of uh, platform economies, conscious banking, um, the role of technologies in, in banking. I mean, we covered like many different things. And as I said before, I would have liked to cover many more, but uh, we are like running out of we time. We have a book to read. Eh? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So exactly. That, no, 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 of course, of course. I mean, the, the whole point about analyzing uh, a bit your book was precisely to encourage people as well no, to, to read your book because uh, they are going to be able to dig much deeper into all those very interesting uh, ideas and concepts that you just uh, summarized. So, um, I mean, after saying that, I would just uh, like to thank you, Paolo, for uh, well, for devoting this time to me and to my podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. I truly value your audience, Ariel. Thanks for having me here today. And well, to my listeners, uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode. And please stay tuned for the next episodes. Thank you and see you. Ciao.